Are you about to be a dad or know someone who is, and you're just not feeling ready? Are you wondering if abortion is the ultimate solution? We'll take, we'll talk about this in just a moment, so don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest is Vince DeCaro. Vince is the Chief Outreach Officer at CareNet. Vince, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. Of course, no, it's 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 my pleasure, my honor. Thank you for having me. What is your favorite dad joke? I'll, I'll give you uh, what I think what I think is the best, maybe original joke that I told uh, that I didn't steal from someone else because I, I I do that's usually what I do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, somebody was wearing a nice scarf, and I said to her, well, that, "That's a really nice scarf," and she said, "Thank you. It's it's an infinity scarf, and, and I made it myself." And I said, "Wow, it must have taken you forever." Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was that was one of my favorites. But yeah, we tell dad jokes all the time here, and my kids are just reaching the age where they roll their eyes now, so it's great. If they roll their eyes, then it qualifies as a good joke. It's that's what makes a dad joke a dad joke. Exactly. Yeah. So we have <laughs> we have a lot of fun with those. Yeah. Well, Vince, you have been known to say there is magic in getting the message right. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, being a uh, communications and marketing person, uh, I've been doing this, and at least for the nonprofit world for, gosh, uh, twenty years now. Um, you know, the I've just seen that a lot of bad ideas can get traction if people message them effectively. So if they kind of come up with a way to talk about a really bad idea in, in a winsome way. Those bad ideas can actually be taken seriously and get traction and get funding and get all kinds of stuff. Um, and then really good ideas can just sort of die on the vine because folks don't know how to talk about them properly or how to package them or present them properly. And so I really kind of strive to uh, you know, take what we believe are really good ideas about how to work on this, this life issue and how to help fathers and build marriages and do all this really important God-honoring work and to package that in such a way that folks will really resonate with it. It'll make sense to them. They'll think about it in a new way, in a way they maybe have never thought about it before, uh, so that good ideas can <laughs> can thrive uh, versus bad ideas that just happen to be packaged properly. Well, abortion is such a divisive topic. Why is yeah. that? And what is everybody really arguing about? Yeah, well, that's a great question, actually. And there was a really long and, and pretty well done article, I must say, in the New York Times recently about the question of when does life begin? And, you know, the, the basic premise of the article was that human beings for as long as we can remember have been arguing about when human life begins. Um, and as a result, folks that think that human life begins at point X would say that abortion before that point is completely appropriate. And of course, people that would say that human, you know, human life begins at conception um, would say that abortion is never appropriate because you're ending a human life, right? And so, uh, so basically, that's the debate that humanity has been having forever, and that's why abortion is so divisive. But uh, there was an anthropologist from Princeton University quoted in that article who actually, I think, got it right. Um, he said that the debate not is not actually about when life begins, because everyone knows what li when life begins, right? Biology sort of has a definition for that, and it's determined by science. So what he said is that we're actually having a debate about when that life counts, 
and whose life matters more, the moms or the babies, right? And so I think that hits the nail on the head. I think we are no longer really having a debate in our country about when life begins. I think anyone who's being honest knows that life begins at conception. Um, but what we're really arguing about is when that unborn life starts to count. Does it start to count immediately? Does it start to count at six weeks, eight weeks, 24 weeks? Um, and then, and, and the, the argument over that is what actually leads to all the divisiveness around abortion. Do either of the, do any of these arguments have anything to do with Christian values? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that was the next thing I was going to say, and I'm glad you, <laughs> this wasn't planned, but you actually just get, asked me the perfect que- follow-up question because I was going to have to force that in there, but now I don't, uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is that, yeah, I mean, you know, our, our president and CEO of CareNet, Roland Warren, often talks about this uh, in terms of this goes all the way back to the, to the garden. Um, and Eve actually had the first abortion when she ate of the fruit of the tree that God told her not to eat from wow. uh, because it was my fruit, my choice. So she was seeking independence from God. She listened to the lies of the evil one who basically told, you know, is that really what God said? Um, wow. you know, this, this, is, this is up to you, really. This is your choice. You don't need God to tell you what to do in this situation. And so really, in a way, that was the first abortion, um, separation from God, doing things in our own will uh, that will presumably, we think, make our lives better uh, but really don't. Um, and so it's absolutely a spiritual issue. Um, and unfortunately, even Christians are heavily divided on the life issue. I think when Roe versus Wade was overturned in June, we really saw that come to fruition, where I think there was a lot of pro-choice Christians who were quietly sitting in the pews, not saying anything. Um, and then when Roe versus Wade got overturned, it was sort of a breaking point for a lot of them. And they sort of, quote, came out <laughs> as being pro-choice. And the outrage uh, that they felt around Roe versus Wade being overturned was really rather shocking, I would say, at some level, but also not particularly surprising. Because we know that nearly half of abortions are actually uh, done by women who are attending church and who call themselves Christians. So this is a huge problem even among Christians, or maybe even especially among Christians. Wow. I have never heard the abortion issue framed that way from the Garden of Eden. Mm. And it's a very frightening thought because that Mm. suggests that our choices, more specifically our sinful choices, have the potential to cause negative consequences on what would have been innocent people. And that's a, that's a frightening thought and a very sobering thought when we think about our own choices um, and even our own ch- sinful choices. We like to think, well, it's my choice. It just affects me. So butt out, like well, stay out of my business. This is none of your business. Right. Well, right. at some point, sin eventually becomes everyone's business. And that's, that is what's frightening to me. Whenever we choose to, um, you know, act according to our own will and our own plans and our own comfort, the, the innocent and the vulnerable uh, inevitably suffer. Um, and, and, you know, and it's, and it's so interesting with abortion because it's treated in a way that no other issue is, is treated. You know, no one would ever say, you know, in fact, I just saw this actually on a, the, the Washington Post just published an op-ed about, um, you know, kind of all of the anti-abortion laws that are being passed. And uh, one of the commenters basically said, you know, when you go to heaven, 
uh, and God asks you about abortion, he's only going to ask you whether or not you've had an abortion. He's not going to ask you whether or not your neighbor had an abortion. And I said, that is just a, a terrible, terrible misunderstanding of the Christian faith. That would be like saying that um, if you were complicit in the Holocaust, let's say, for example, as long as you didn't actually personally kill any Jewish people yourselves, but you knew that your neighbors were doing it and you were totally okay with that. Yeah, they're, 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 they're putting, sending people to the gas chambers next door. And that's, you know, that's cool because that's their choice, but I'm not, I'm not doing it. So when I go to God and God asked me, did you, did you participate in the Holocaust? I can say, well, no, I didn't, I didn't kill anyone, but is God going to say, okay, cool, great. You know, you're, you're innocent. No, he's going to say, but I saw you standing by letting people kill other people, innocent, vulnerable people. Um, and so again, there's the, the issue ends up being that the culture kind of looks at the church right now and sees terrible division within the church and says, look, half of Christians are pro-choice and even their real, even their religion, the, this Christian religion says that if you go to heaven, God's not going to ask you about your neighbor. He's only going to ask you about yourself. And it's like, no, that, that's, that's a, a misunderstanding of our faith. And so Christians really need to get ourselves straight on this issue. Um, and until we do that, we can never expect the culture to get, I mean, in fact, we should expect the culture to be pro-abortion, right? Uh, but within the church, we need to get this right first. I love Malachi, uh, Malachi 4.6, which is the whole text about turning the hearts of fathers to their children. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you become a father isn't after your child is born. You become a father before that child is born. And so Malachi 4, 6 is a huge part of what God himself has to say about fatherhood. And if it's important enough for God to say that, it should be important enough for us to pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so so much biblical evidence about you know, the, the value and sanctity of human life from the moment of conception. In fact, from even before conception, <laughs> right? When the foundations of the earth were laid, God knew us uh, and loved us. And so, um, so there's really, you know, and that's just, a, even as powerful as that is, that's actually just a small part of what scripture has to say about life and about fatherhood and about marriage. In fact, uh, the sort of pro-life apologetic that we use very often at, at CareNet is the story of Christ, the, the birth of Christ himself, right? You could kind of get everything that you need to be a pro-life, part of the pro-life movement from, from that story, right? Uh, God didn't just send an angel to Mary uh, to tell her that she was to give birth to, to the Savior. He sent an angel to, angel to Joseph as well and told Joseph, marry Mary. That was the first thing he told her, get married to Mary. And then the second thing he told her was be a father to that child in that order, right? Very, very interesting, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so fatherhood and marriage and the protection of human life were actually part of our savior's birth. Um, and of course, God did all of that for us, right? So that we could see that and model our lives based on that. And so it's all there. It's all there in scripture for us. Vince, you have been involved with helping families who have considered abortion as an option. What is going on in their minds? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, again, it's the sort of the oldest sin in the book, so to speak, which was which is that, you know, we want to sacrifice the innocent um, uh, in order to maintain or protect our our own way of life 
right? For, versus sacrificing for the vulnerable uh, and the innocent to protect them. You know, it's just, and and that plays out and, you know, and, and at the risk of sounding holier than thou, I mean, I commit that sin probably in lots of different ways. Now I've never been involved in an abortion, but absolutely have probably done what I just described in lots of other settings as well. So I'm not innocent of this either. Um, but again, like that's, that's sort of the heart of what's happening there is that um, I, I want to protect and, you know, value my life. So the vulnerable and the innocent are going to have to be sacrificed in order for that to happen. And that's really what is happening with abortion. And, and, you know, and that, and that's from a spiritual perspective, but clearly there's economics there's family dynamics that are at play here. You know, most women who have abortions uh, say that uh, the reason that they're having an abortion is because they're not ready to be a mother. They can't afford it. They already have children and they don't want to bring another child into the world. They're not getting the support that they need from the father of the child. So these are all relational and economic, real relational and economic issues that are just super practical. And, you know, and, you know, and so we, we at CareNet, we, we never are out there trying to scream at people uh, and, you know, shouting at at them about their sin. You know, it's, it's possible of course, to acknowledge the sin of abortion, but still love the people who are in that situation because they are feeling desperate. They are feeling alone. Mm. They, they Mm. need our help and our love and our support. And that's how we approach every single person that we work with man or woman um, who's at risk for abortion and is looking for, looking for an answer. How do, what do I do? This is an unplanned pregnancy or an unexpectedly complicated pregnancy, and we want to love them and show them Christ's love so that they can choose life. Mothers are always the center of, of the discussion on abortion, and no one is talking about the dads. Why is that? And are there are there key players in those decisions? What's going on in their minds? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, we, Karenette, we did a couple of national surveys, actually. We did a national survey of women uh, who had abortions, and we did a national survey of men who participated in abortion. And in both of those surveys, we asked who was the most influential person in the abortion decision. So when we asked women that question, they said the father of the baby was by far the most influential person in my decision. And then when we asked men, who was the most influential person in your partner's decision to have an abortion? He said, I was. So both, wow. yeah, so both women and men agree that the father of the baby is the most, by far the most influential uh, person in that in that decision, and so unfortunately, our culture has framed this as a quote women's issue, right? And unfortunately, people in outside and inside the church have sort of drank the Kool Aid on that and said, "Yeah, this is a women's issue." So even within the pro life movement, you've had decades of pro life activism that has been focused almost entirely on women. Uh, but for uh, from our perspective, this is not a women's issue. This is a people issue. Uh, this is about women, men, and unborn children. Uh, and so it's a family issue. It's a marriage issue. It's a fatherhood issue. It's a motherhood issue. And because men are so influential in that decision, we can't possibly expect to be successful in the pro-life movement if we're not engaging men in a positive way. And so that's the approach that we take. So we've talked about CareNet several times in this conversation. So I want to back up a little bit and talk about CareNet. What is CareNet and what is your role? Sure. So CareNet is a national uh, pro-life Christian ministry uh, that works to provide women and men considering abortion uh, with the life-affirming alternatives and the compassionate Christ-centered support that they need uh, 
to be transformed by the gospel and to, ch- and to choose life for themselves and their families. Um, so we call ourselves a pro-abundant life ministry, uh, not just the life of the unborn child, but the life of the family, the life of the mother and the father, um, and, and ultimately their relationship with, with God. And so we focus on all of that because um, that's all part of the equation. And so we support a network of 1,200 plus uh, pregnancy centers around the country. We, we run a national hotline called Pregnancy Decision Line where folks can call and get the support that they need. And we're uh, working to grow a network of churches that are actually trained to, uh, to guide people through unplanned pregnancies as well. Um, and so that's, that's what we do at CareNet. My role as the chief outreach officer um, is to run the marketing and communications department uh, for the organization. And so that's why I love focusing on getting the messaging right. We love stories on the fatherhood challenge, and that's really the heart of what makes this program special. And I love stories. Tell me some stories and experiences of how you and CareNet have helped families considering abortion and what is the ultimate solution to abortion? Wow. That, I mean, that second question, whoo, that's a, that's a big one. The ultimate solution to abortion. Um, I I mean, I'll kind of, I'll give a cop out answer and say, I think it starts with the church getting it right. Mm. Um, and the church removing the log in our eye before we remove the speck in the culture's eye. Um, and kind of just coming to grips with the fact that probably about half of the people that are sitting in pews in churches on Sunday are pro-choice. You know, just kind of let that sink in for for a minute. Half of the people, I would guess, uh, sitting in the pews on Sundays in churches across America are pro-choice. Uh, wow. And we, yeah, and we need to. So we need to start there. We need to start with the people of the book, um, and then once we get ourselves right, we can we can go out and and really start to affect the culture in a powerful way. As far as stories are concerned, my goodness, I mean, we serve I think about three hundred thousand new clients every year. At, at our network of pregnancy centers. Uh, so that doesn't include all the people who are coming back for all kinds of help and support and services and classes and everything that they need. So we're serving hundreds of thousands of people every year. So a few of this, well, one recent story that stands out, uh, it's just truly heartbreaking. Like I said, we run a national hotline called Pregnancy Decision Line. Um, and oftentimes the folks who call that are looking for information about abortion online and they find us and they call us. Um, and so a recent caller uh, called us from her home and she had just taken the abortion pills and she was in terrible pain. She was crying and she didn't know what to do. Uh, so our coach at told her, it sounds like you need medical help. Is there someone there that can take you to a doctor? And the, um, the person in tears said, well, my sister knows about this, but she's not home right now. And my parents don't know about this and they're all, they're going to be home soon. And she started crying uncontrollably. Just mm. absolutely heartbreaking. Um, so the question you have to ask yourself is the abortion industry. I mean, there's a big, I, I won't name them, but there's a big abortion giant. Why wasn't this person calling these people who presumably care about her, who gave her these abortion pills? Where were they? Mm. Where were they? Why did she have to go out of her way to go online and search and find us to call to get the care that she needed? Shouldn't she have been calling the folks who cared about her enough to give her the abortion pill? Right. I'm being sarcastic. Uh, (laughs) And so, (laughs) um, you know, it's just these are the questions that 
in, in a certain sense, we're not allowed to ask in our culture anymore. Um, but we need to be asking them. And so we obviously tried to do everything we could to help this woman. Clearly, she needed medical attention. And we were able to direct her to that reality. Um, and also hopefully get her, you know, after she's got the immediate medical help that she 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 required. Um, you know, we always want to encourage folks to visit one of our pregnancy centers where they can get ongoing support, where they can get an ultrasound, where they can get a free ultrasound, where they can get um, coaching, where they can get parenting classes, where they can get material support, and frankly, just a, a, be surrounded by a group of people who truly does care about them holistically as people, emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, you know, materially, um, so that they can come to a fully informed uh, decision about what to do with an unplanned pregnancy. Um, the abortion industry has no interest in doing any of that because that's expensive, time-consuming, difficult work to do. They just want to mail you an abortion pill and make you think that that's going to solve all of your problems, and it clearly doesn't. Um, every year we do a scholarship as well. We work with Regent University to provide a full-ride scholarship to somebody who went through one of our pregnancy centers. Um, and so we had a recent person who uh, was considering abortion, and um, she went to one of our pregnancy centers. We helped her not only choose life for her unborn child, uh, but realize how important it was for her to form a family around that child. So she ended up marrying uh, the father of the child, getting marriage and parenting classes along the way, um, getting the material support that she needed um, in that for the, to meet those immediate needs of having a child. Um, and then she got a full ride scholarship to Regent University. And so there's just, I'm smiling as I'm saying this, because it's just, this is the kind of stuff that pregnancy centers, um, the most unsung heroes, I think, in this country are doing every single day. Thousands of these amazing organizations uh, doing this work every single day. This is amazing. Yeah. So we, we just, that's what we do. <laughs> How can churches and religious organizations play a vital role as part of the solution? Yeah, churches, as you've probably heard me allude to a couple of times, churches are key in this. Um, you know, one of the things that has, has occurred to us on, on a number of occasions when folks have called into our pregnancy decision line is that some folks live in areas where there aren't any pregnancy centers anywhere nearby. But there certainly are probably lots of churches. So the question you have to ask yourself is, well, what are those? What could those churches do to help this person walk through an unplanned pregnancy? So it's really critical that churches equip themselves to minister to women and men who are considering abortion. Um, and CareNet has actually created a, a tool that makes it really, e I shouldn't say easy, this is never easy work, but it makes it easy for, for churches to at least get started on figuring out how to do that. It's called Making Life Disciples. It's a small group study that churches can use to train people up within the church to, to, to start to learn how to provide compassion, hope, and help to women and men considering abortion, to walk them through that decision, and also, when, when appropriate, to connect them to pregnancy centers and other resources in their communities uh, where they can get on uh, additional kinds of supports that they might need. So the church needs to be uh, you know, advancing on this and helping uh, pregnancy centers do this work versus the other way around, right? Pregnancy centers shouldn't necessarily be leading and helping the church, right? The, the church should be helping the parachurch ministries. And so the church is huge in this. Pregnancy centers are always going to play a huge, huge role in this work, but they need to be linked with churches that are doing this as well. Besides churches or religion, how can anyone get involved and help? Uh, there are a lot of ways you could do that. I mean, we have resources on our website that can help people, uh, you know, learn how to, to 
talk to women who are considering abortion in a compassionate way that's going to be helpful. Um, we also always encourage folks to, to volunteer at their local pregnancy centers. So we have a tool on our website where you can find the pregnancy centers in your area by zip code. Um, and you can reach out to them and see if they need help. Um, and then, of course, if you go to church, you can bring this ministry to your church. Um, and then we have lots of other resources just around, you know, how do you defend your pro-life beliefs? How can you talk? As I mentioned earlier, there's, lot, there's lots of pro-life, pro-choice Christians, I should say. Um, how can you talk to your pro-life Christian friends and family members about the life issue from a biblical perspective? And so we have lots of resources that folks can access on our website. And if I'm not mistaken, near the top of your website, there's also an option for people who want to help financially, isn't there? There is. Yeah, we're a nonprofit ministry, so we rely on the kindness of strangers uh, to uh, and the generosity of strangers to to help us fund our work. Um, and it is it's an especially critical time right now. I can't emphasize that enough. So when someone if someone makes a donation through the website, what exactly happens with that money? Where does it go? Yeah, so it helps us equip and train our network of 1200 pregnancy centers. Uh, to do their work with excellence. So we provide all kinds of resources and training and webinars and resources to uh, to help them do their work better. We provide them with tools that they can actually give to their clients that walk through their doors. Um, and, and as I said, we also have a, a, an enormous effort to uh, equip churches. Uh, so we have a whole team of folks around the country who are going into churches and going into denominational meetings uh, every day to to help equip churches that so do, donations to CareNet will fund those efforts and also as I mentioned the pregnancy decision line uh, donations will support us uh, hiring coaches training coaches advertising uh, the pregnancy decision line so folks can find us instead of finding you know the abortion uh, providers um, and then you know staffing up and equipping that that hotline so that we can take as many calls as possible. And that's what donations to CareNet do. I'm going to make it easy to find the website. So if you go to thefatherhoodchallenge.com, that's thefatherhoodchallenge.com, go to this episode, and this episode is entitled Abortion and the Ultimate Solution. If you go to this episode, look below the episode description. The link will be right there. It'll take you directly to to CareNet's website. And from there, you'll be able to learn more about what they do, make a donation, and find out how to help in other ways. Absolutely. And Vince, as we close, speak to that father listening right now who, for whatever reason, is scared or terrified because he's a new father and he feels alone and thinks he can't do it. There, There is help and support out there for you, Dad. Um, I was in your shoes once. Um, uh, I think every dad feels that same level of anxiety when they find out they're a father. Um, Am I worthy? Am I capable? Can I do this? Um, but just, you know, if, you, if you're a Christian, especially look at the birth of Christ himself and what God did to encourage and equip and mission Joseph to be Jesus's father here on earth. And so um, God has a plan and a calling for you to be to be a father to your child. And God is going to love you and guide you through that process. And there are, there are so many great resources out there for dads to get the help that they need. Um, you know, frankly, even starting with our pregnancy centers, they, they are doing amazing work over the last several years to really make sure that they're including dad and their dads in their work. Um, and there are other organizations like the National Fatherhood Initiative, where I worked for 12 years, 
that have all kinds of great resources to help dads um, be the dads that they need to be. Vince, it has been an honor to have you on the Fatherhood Challenge. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate everything you're doing to, to encourage dads. It's so important and, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.